Hi, I'm Danny Gavigan, member of Everyman's Resident Company and the creator and host of the brand new podcast you're about to listen to, Everyman Theater's Resident Ghost Company. This podcast was made possible through the generosity of the Galanthus Foundation and listeners like you. Please consider making a donation to support more work like this by texting GHOST, that's G-H-O-S-T, to 44321, or visiting everymantheater.org. We don't have theater, and we miss it, and people are managing to survive without it. And me having this kind of, you got we got to do something. You got to produce something digitally. That's the next wave. That's my friend and fellow out-of-work actor, Bruce Randolph Nelson. Bruce and I, along with some of the most talented and versatile artists that I know, some of whom you'll meet digitally, are all members of the resident company at Everyman Theater in Baltimore, Maryland. Founding artistic director, Vincent Lanchisi. Once I was at Catholic U, I had this great pool of actors within the MFA program of all ages and shapes and sizes and levels of experience. Some had been out in the profession for a decade before they went back to get their MFA because they wanted to teach. And I quickly became deeply concerned about the plight of the American actor. You know, that they spend 80% of their time looking for their next gig. And, you know, how can they focus on their craft when they're not in control of what comes next? So I knew uh, I wanted to start a theater company. And I knew that the actor had to be at the center of it. And I knew that it needed to be a resident company. I know it sounds like a cliche, but every man became a second home to me. They became a second family. And now that theaters across the world have gone dark, I miss my family. I think it's a hard time for theater people. They can't plan. Right. They can't act by themselves. They, they need to be with an audience. And uh, it's not easy to find an audience in the Zoom world. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. I thank God for Zoom, but it's not quite the same thing as being there, is it? No. Yeah. Not at all. And with no audience, no boards to traipse, no light to find... I, like so many others hit by this pandemic, can't help but look back in the rearview mirror at my livelihood without feeling like a vestige of my former self, like a ghost. And when I think of theaters across the world as these abandoned ghost towns and artists as these ghosts wandering aimlessly in search of their audience, I'm reminded that there is a light at the end of the tunnel that ensures theaters never truly go dark an old tradition called the ghost light. I've always, always, always loved the tradition. Actor and fellow company member Helen Hedman. If you think of an older theater, like like Everyman, or like, I can think of so many theaters where I've worked, uh, only of course in the old, in the old barn-like theater with the peach baskets for the lights. That looked great with the ghost light because there were ghosts, there were really, there are really ghosts there. No, no doubt about that. Many, many people in different theaters all over the world believe that there there is a ghost in their theater. It's not at all unusual. It shows up in classic plays. It, it shows up all over the place. The list of haunted theaters across the world goes on and on. One of the most famous on that list is the Palace Theater in London. They actually have two seats on the balcony that they bolted open for the two ghosts that live there so that they'll always be able to see the play. And the Palace Theater maintained that age-old tradition of never selling those seats. 
up until 2016 when Harry Potter and the Cursed Child came to town. Then those ghosts had to get a ticket just like everybody else. If you are making a little pool of light to protect you from the ghosts, that's great, but you're also acknowledging the ghosts while you're there. And I see it now as a, as a welcoming of ghosts. I didn't when I was younger, but I, but I do now. That this is your time, this is your space, you give it back over to them. So I, I do have this feeling of opening yourself and opening your heart and opening your being to whatever is out there, which is what any actor would do anyway for a role. That's why I think theaters are full of ghosts. Even brand new spaces can draw in ghosts. Resident acting company member, Beth Hilton. Because if you think that energetically, spiritually, what you are doing, I believe the work of an artist, all that work that you do is in order to lay aside the ego to become a vessel for the other, to let the divine move through you in order to tell the story. The story moves through you in order to reach other people. I think there's a lot of residual energy and I think it echoes. Longtime member of the resident acting company, Deborah Hazlett. And I think certain people have more access to that around them, a stronger intuitive sense. And I think a lot of actors and uh, artists in general probably fall into that population. For the most part, I see stuff. I don't really, I don't really hear. I have a, a a pretty strong history, actually, with ghosts and paranormal activity and encounters, and I don't know why. That's Paige Hernandez, actor, director, and now associate artistic director of Everyman Theater. Um, but I get visits a lot. I get visits from family members as well as complete strangers. I also get visions. Longtime resident stage manager and now Everyman's director of production, Mandy Hall. Uh, yes, I've had multi multiple, not, I don't actually see them, I just feel them. I have a, um, a very clear sense of energy in things that I touch. I, I'm a suspicious person. I'm a theater person. I willingly suspend my disbelief in order to experience the natural and the supernatural. I'm, I personally believe all that stuff. I, I love that stuff. That's Baltimore theater legend Donald Hicken. For almost 40 years, Donald was the head of the theater department at Baltimore School for the Arts, whose graduates, among many others, include Tupac Shakur, Jada Pinkett Smith, and our very own Paige Hernandez and Eric Berryman. Theaters are probably a little more likely because I've had spiritualists' um, accounts that suggest that creative energy has a tendency to linger in the places where it was manifested. And creative energy transcends time. Great art is timeless. It's all we know, really, of cultures, ancient and, and not so ancient. I just think that all that, that energy is stored in kind of in, in the building itself. It holds all that stuff. That's Andrew Galen, resident audio engineer. Every building kind of stores that energy that we that we put off when we're alive. And a lot of it I think just replays over and over kind of like a like a like a tape. I think there's cool stuff out there and I think there's maybe energy we don't even know about, right? Former company member Clinton Branhagen. But uh, you know, something's gotta make the UFO fly. Or something's gotta make the ghost appear apparate or whatever it is yeah I, I 
I'm not saying it. it's not there. It doesn't exist. I'm saying, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I am such a non-believer. Longtime resident scenic designer, Daniel Ettinger. I just don't know what to do with that. You know what I mean? It doesn't fit my, it doesn't fit my universe view. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'll just set that over there. I don't buy it. I mean, they're out there, I guess, but I've never experienced anything. And I don't think that as long as I hold, no, I don't buy it. I don't think I'm going to. Oh, so you think there's a sense of opening yourself to it? Well, and then that starts to sort of lean into the woo-woo right. of it all. And uh, yeah, I would, I would guess that because I don't believe in it, I'm probably not going to see it. Now, if something does happen and I can't explain it, I'd like to think that it's science hasn't an explanation for that yet, as opposed mm -hmm. to, you don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never believed in ghosts. I always associated them with cartoons or Halloween costumes. They weren't real. They were something you'd see at a monster mash. And then in 2014, in my first show as a company member with Everyman, I had an experience backstage that had a profound impact on me in that it was as undeniable as I had always thought implausible. I saw a ghost. When we talk about the West Side, you know, one of the jewels in the crown is everything. You, you feel like there's other people guys, there. The poltergeist guy. There's the dance hall girl. There's something kind of creepy upstairs in the rehearsal hall. And the cool thing about our theater is the consistency of stories from new people who have the same experience. This is a podcast about a haunted house and its theater company with as many members as it has ghost stories. I'm Danny Gavigan, and this is Everyman Theater's Resident Ghost Company. It's the fall of 2014, and I'm in my third show at Everyman, my first as a company member. The year before, every man had just cut the ribbon on its newly renovated location, a hundred-year-old building in West Baltimore. Hello, everybody. I'm Mark Beachy with the Maryland Theater Guide, broadcasting to you live from the new location of the Everyman Theater at 315 West Fayette Street in Baltimore. Uh, as you know, the Everyman Theater has been around quite a while, but now they're in a new location, which is absolutely beautiful, and we are covering the ribbon-cutting ceremony. I remember when it was um, the town theater, I believe. I used to come to the movies here, but y'all did, did a spectacular job at redoing it. Everything looks up to date. Thank you very much for your so time. So this building really interested me. They didn't know what to do with it. 1911, it was a vaudeville house, right, called The Empire. And it was out for 20 years until 1935. And then in 35, it got switched from the Empire to the Palace, a burlesque house. And it was that for about five years. I guess it got a little too burlesque and the Palace got shut down. And then it was empty and they blasted out. I mean, there are beautiful photographs of this building, stunning, two balconies, you know, 1,750 seats, 60 foot high ceiling. This was a gorgeous, beautiful building. And they blasted out all the levels and they put an indoor parking garage there. 
Then World War II happened, right? And then they blasted those floors out again. Then it became the town theater, completely renovated uh, into a 750-seat first-run movie house. And it opened on Christmas Day, 1945, after the war, with It's a Wonderful Life. And Jimmy Stewart and Frank Capra came down on Christmas Day to open the theater. Right here in Baltimore. It was unbelievable. And no, unfortunately, Jimmy Stewart was not the ghost that I saw. Merry Christmas, movie house! So um, it was that all the way up until 1990. And in 1990, ironically, was the year that every man was founded. So we're coming up on our 30th anniversary season. I was completely oblivious to the building's rich history and the rite of passage it had in store for me backstage in my first show as company member. The show was The Understudy by Teresa Rebeck. It's one of my favorite plays I've ever got to do. It's about a fictional Broadway play based on the writings of Kafka, starring, of course, two movie stars. When one of the stars books a movie and has to come away from the run of the show, they bring in an understudy for what's called a put-in rehearsal. It's very meta-theatrical and satirical and really funny and surprisingly poignant and moving. And the cast is only three characters. It's the stage manager, played by Beth Hilton. When I was little, when I was little, little, like I remember being like, I, when I grow up, I want to be magic. And if I can't be magic, I want to be an actor. And if I can't be an actor, I want to be a writer. I was like three. And The Understudy, played by Clinton Branhagen. I saw a couple of shows there and I think I thought, wow, what a cool place that's, that's all about actors being able to fit into roles that they never would typically play, right? And I played the young hotshot movie star. And the set was great. It was very Broadway. Designed by Daniel Ettinger. One of my strong suits was the geometry of how to put things together. It was basically just these elaborate Kafka-esque flats that would make up the various scenes and were automated to fly in on these tracks at the push of a button by our stage manager up in the booth, Mandy Hall. I remember the day that I met Vinny. He was standing in a doorway uh, smoking a cigarette in a black trench coat. <laughs> so with all of these set pieces flying on and off, we had very little room backstage for any crew members. It was just enough for us three to make our entrances and exits. The play begins with a ghost light, eerily illuminating the empty space. Clint, the understudy, runs on with a prop gun he's grabbed from the wings and monologues to the audience about how bitter he is to be an out-of-work actor, classically trained, while all of these talentless movie stars are making millions of dollars. Then I make my entrance as the movie star from the house in the audience, and I catch Clint waving a gun around, talking to himself. He gets embarrassed and runs off. At which point, Beth comes on as the stage manager, wondering where the hell the understudy is. So I tell her, I think I know, and I go off to find him. Now, I know it's not long before I have to come on again, so I kind of hang out in this narrow space behind one of the flats, upstage left, listening in to Beth on stage, having a conversation with the imaginary assistant named Laura up in the booth. Beth is actually looking up at the booth, talking to our stage manager, Mandy. And one of Mandy's best friends happens to be a stage manager on Broadway, also named Laura. I'm backstage 
left, there are two panels on either side of me. It's a tight space. There's the exit door to the scene shop immediately to my left, and I'm listening to Beth on my right on stage for my cue. I'm trying my best to stay in character, give myself over to the present moment, and I feel the presence of somebody behind me to my left. And as I turn under the green glow of the exit sign is the silhouette of a man in a suit, a white suit. Is he wearing a hat? He's got his back up against the wall and he's looking downstage, not at me, but off as though he wants to give me his profile. But I can't make it out, it's too dark. It, <laughs> that's Clint messing with me. And I whisper to him, come on, man, stop. And I immediately shift my attention back to the stage. When I hear Clint on stage, I thought it was you. I thought you were like playing dress up and put a hat on or something. It's now, it's now the time that I can finally tell you that it wasn't me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, because, because immediately I was just like, dude, it's not me. That's what my thought process, because I need to focus. And so I turn yeah. away to the stage. I hear your voice on stage talking to Beth. And then I turn around and he's completely gone. Oh, no, nobody was there. It was, it was so vivid, dude. And I've heard so many of these stories. I never believed in any of this shit. I never did. And yeah. then it wasn't until a few days later that I remembered that because it was at the top of the show. You know, you go into a performance, you forget that I, I asked Mandy and Beth because they were talking about ghosts. Do you remember this? Oh, uh -huh. And you yeah. immediately like jumped to it. You said, yeah. was it the guy in the, yeah. I think you, you said that, was it the guy in the white, white suit? Shirt. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and you yeah. said up, you said upstage left where I saw him. Oh, yes. That's what a lot of people have. Upstage left has been upstage left and like back by the prop kitchen. Lots of things have happened up there for people. I mean, you, you've you seen something. Mandy's seen something. Mandy sees everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody else? Even I saw, uh, we call him the, the gray gentleman or the gentleman in the gray suit. I thought there was somebody in a white suit. White suit. White suit. There is a guy that walks around the theater and backstage wearing like a white button-down shirt, kind of nice looking clothes. From being in the booth, I often saw a figure in white, whether it had always looked like a man in a white shirt who was moving. So I was like, oh, is somebody up from their seat? Are they going? Because often I would say, we have a patron coming out to the bathroom. And I see this guy stand up and it's like, dude, we just started the play. like. I was like, how could you not have peed already, right? So I'm seeing this guy like walk out and I was like, so rude. And so I look at him and I realize at that point that he's moving through people. So like I can see through the guy to people. I thought it was somebody with a bad back because we've all experienced, you've seen people stand up and you find out later uh, they had a bad yeah. back that they needed to stand. No, there was no actual audience member who had to stand up. So, who is this guy? How many more of him are there? How big is this company of ghosts? And what is up with this theater? 
Everyman Theater's Resident Ghost Company is written, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Danny Gavigan. With music by Kai Engel, Daniel Birch, Chad Crouch, and Circus Homunculus, courtesy of freemusicarchive.org. Your support makes every episode possible. Visit everymantheater.org to check out our incredible 30th anniversary season and to make a donation today. Or text GHOST, G-H-O-S-T, to 44321. Every donation, no matter the size, makes a difference. Coming up on Resident Ghost Company. Did you know that there was a murder in your building long time ago? I was like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. I was in the dressing room by myself, and Beth's cell phone flew across the room and landed on the floor. Right before I entered into a scene with Bruce, I was stage left. And um, from the top of my head to my toes, it went absolutely ice cold. And I see the scarecrow, and it's like seven feet tall. It's really, really big. And it's dressed like the ghost of Christmas future. And then all of a sudden, I got this like wash of like, get away from here. This is not yours. And I never went near it again. It's like, but Vivian sitting right here next to me in this scene, how can her ghost be? I don't know, but I saw her. I mean, watch anything Bruce does, right? And it's it's completely different than the last thing. There's there's always Bruce to me, but there's always like, this is like, where where does this come from? And it was a tryout. Baltimore was a huge tryout town. Uh, Who knew that? You Lillian know? Hellman insisted that all of her plays premiere in Baltimore. And everyone knows growing up in Baltimore in the black community, Lexington Market's connection to the slave trade. And I thought to myself, well, how come I never got that? Because I miss my mom too, you know? And then I realized all those times when someone was sitting next to me on that bed, it was her, but she didn't want to scare me. And these things don't close. So a lot of students are dealing with, do they feel and sense their relatives from these places because so many of them just lost siblings? Life, if, if we're careful, will provide us with all the lessons that we need. I mean, like everything else that I was supposed to do got canceled as well. So I'm just kind of like, it's it's out of my control, right? It's completely out of my control. So yeah, how are things, how are things with um, every man? 